Okay. Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the Healers episode, the pandemic episode. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we'll meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And now I'm happy to have as our guest, Rena DeLevy. <laughs> did I say that right this time? You did. I did. I'm happy to say that right. Compassionate Leadership Coach. That's a lovely title. Lovely to have you here, Rena. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, it's exciting to have a, a compassionate leadership coach. That word compassion is key. Tell us about that. How do, how do you become a compassionate leadership coach? Well, in my case, you'd be treated like poop for 20 years at work. And then you oh, say, okay, I've had I've, enough. I've had, that, I've had that experience. I just got out of it. I didn't change anything. I'm glad to hear somebody's doing something about it. Yeah. So, you know, this was, this was the style, fear-based leadership for many, 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 many years. It was, um, it showed up as a threat of not getting your pension, you know, back in the fifties, so you never left the job. And then, you know, it morphed into different styles throughout the decades. Um, in the eighties and nineties, when I first entered the workforce, it was pretty fierce, uh, pretty cutthroat and, um, that's what I, the kind of leadership I was taught, the kind of management I was taught. And I was really good. I was an asshole. And then I realized I wasn't happy. You so weren't I happy. Thought, I imagine the people who worked for you weren't terribly happy. Either. <laughs> they were not. They were not. I laugh now, but it was really, uh, you know, it was painful. I know. Yeah. What, what industry? Was it one industry or several industries that you worked in? So I went to art school. So I was a graphic designer, art director, and then I moved into management and leadership and then operational efficiency within the creative space. So right. everything was in the creative space. And, um, you know, it, it could have been any industry. It was, um, but it was the creative industry. And so, you know, that, that most difficult move from when you are hanging out with your friends and everybody's at the same level and suddenly you're managing them is such a difficult transition. And uh, all, I, all I had seen and witnessed and experienced was um, threatening and uh, yelling and fear. And so it was all I knew right. to, well, did you, the only tools I used. Before you were the manager, a manager, did you and your cohorts talk about how terrible these managers are or just of you know. course <laughs> of course but you also didn't rise the corporate ladder if you didn't play the game you were rewarded for scaring people into doing things there was no reward for being a compassionate human right which which was why when I finally decided forget it I'm just gonna I literally thought to myself, you know what, if I get fired, I get fired. Like I am tired of hiding my compassionate nature. I'm miserable. I'm getting a lot done, but I'm, I'm unhappy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and when you stopped or when you start, how did, did you leave a company or leave a job or just change your behavior? I changed my behavior. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty uh, clear turning point. I had started meditating and 
trying and let, writing. I started writing and thinking like, what do I want to change? I want to be happy. I'm not happy. And shortly thereafter, 9-11 happened. And that was, you know, huge percentage of humans worldwide reassessed and changed their focus uh, in life, changed a lot, you know. It did wake people up, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I, and I lived and worked in Manhattan at the time. So, um, and I had friends who, in any case, it was very, very close to home, very close to home. And I thought to myself, if I had been on one of the planes or one of the buildings, would I have said, yay, Rena, you got to VP? Or would I have said, what, what did I do with my life? And it was very clear, you know, that I, from that moment on, I decided I'm going to live my life in terms of who do I want to be in this world, not how high, you know, what title I want to get or um, how much money I want to make or how much authority I want to have. It was who do I want to be in this world? And while my work focuses in the workplace, it's got a much broader application. Well, you're talking about, as you say, who do you want to be as opposed to who do you want to get? What do you want to get? How many toys? That's right. And, and, who do you want to win over? Who do you want to impress? That's all very external. Right. And I shift the focus to much more internal. How, how, who, you know, every decision I had made at work before then was how do I get promoted? How do I look good? How do I, how do I scare people into um, doing what I want them to do, uh, which was the model. Right. Uh, and I shifted it to being every decision I make is going to be in alignment with my integrity. Right. And so my integrity would guide me to say, you know what, don't yell this time. Or my integrity would say, are you going to feel good about how you behave when you go home and look in the mirror at night? And so it was uh, self-accountability. And the other part that was huge was self-compassion. Self-compassion. Um, because it was terrifying. Yes, yes. How it, did... it was terrifying to show up as myself at work and in life. And ultimately, the, um, I sort of reinvented myself to really show up as who I am. I then ended up changing everything. I mean, romantic relationships, friendships, family dynamics, everything shifted because I no longer was trying to fit anybody else's mold. Right. Well, and that's very difficult to know who you really are or to have any sense, even if you don't know who you really are, that you're not being who you really want to be. Exactly. And that, and that, and that in the times before where I had tried to show up as I am, I was shamed or not promoted or uh, tolerated. And I didn't want to live a life where I was tolerated. I wanted to be celebrated for who I am. Right. In the and workplace how, and, you know, at play and at home, everywhere. How was this taken? I mean, all, it sounds like you changed everything in your life, as you say. But in the workplace, how was this taken? Because the workplace is not noted for accepting that. Right. Well, it was, it was interesting. Um, before, when I would approach people on my team or in the department, because I was running the operations for the entire marketing department. So even if they didn't direct report to me, they sort of indirectly did. Um, people would sort of like, uh-oh, here comes Rena, kind of energy and feeling and, and maybe even those words. And I'm sure they had nicknames for me that I don't wanna know. Um, by the time I left that job, 
and it was uh, five years after 9-11. So five years after I had started my uh, new approach to life and new approach to leadership, I found out that my nickname was, how may I help you? And I just thought, that is the greatest compliment I could have received. Isn't that wonderful that people yeah. perceive you that way? Have, have, but it but took it, a while. <laughs> it I'm took saying, a while, and people I'm, really didn't like me for a while. I laugh now, but it was it was upsetting, you know. Right. Well, say, sure. Oh, here comes Rena, you know, that kind of thing. And then by the time I left, it was, how may I help you? Not everybody loved me. You know, you're never going to please all the people all the time. Um, no, but ultimately, I, I was living with integrity, and that's what counts in my book. How are you able today, since you're now independently working in this field, how are you able to, to convince, not convince me, not the right word, to get people to see that this is a good thing, that they need to change? That's a great question. Before the pandemic, I could not use the word compassion. I could not use the word anxiety. We draw all the things I, you know, you basically compassionate leadership is how to manage your anxiety in the workplace. Um, right. And along with, you know, how to actually lead and get people to do what it is that needs to be done uh, with kindness rather than, you know, fear. Um, so I would uh, work with corporations who, who would respond to the truth, which were statistics such as lower your attrition rate, um, expedite productivity, increase creativity, numbers, percentages, things like that, you know, sort of fear-based language right. that kept it all very external and safe, unemotional. Um, and then I would, under the radar, be teaching how to use compassion and accountability in equal measure. Um, it was uncomfortable for me because again, my whole point was to show up fully as I am. At the same time, I really wanted to help people. So I thought, you know what? I'll speak the language that will make them feel safe and I will help them learn the tools of compassion and accountability in equal measure in a language that helps them. And so I was, you know, being fully myself, but sort of still a little bit in hiding. Since the pandemic, uh, I'll give you an example. When I, before the pandemic, when I wrote my first book, it's called Compassionate Management. What I really wanted to call it was Managing with Your Heart. Right. And I got feedback. Do not use heart. Nobody will pay attention. When I go back into my notes, I have years and years of notes and writings about managing with your heart, um, using your heart, connecting with your heart all of that. And I buried it all. And then when I said I was going to call it compassionate management, they were like, what are you crazy? And I was like, I'm going to do it like a rebel. <laughs> right now rebel with a cause rebel with a cause. Yeah. Spread compassion. Now that we are two years into the pandemic, uh, people call me and say, please, please teach me how to use compassion with my team. We're all so anxious. Can you help us meditate? Whereas in the past, which is like, you know, one piece of what I do, I, helping meditate is not even a big part of what I do, even though I'm a 16, 17 year practitioner of mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. I, I literally teach how to manage and lead using compassion and accountability. It is a management methodology. 
it's it's not rocket science. It's using the innate skills that we have, but it's it's connecting to them. And it is very much a training people to accept the fact that we bring our whole self to work and how to bring our whole self and show up diplomatically, professionally. Um, you know, using compassion doesn't mean be being a doormat. That's why it's coupled with accountability. So the shift has been, I'm fully not hiding anything anymore. So it's, it's, it's super delicious for me. Um, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that it took COVID uh, to sort of uh, rip away the facade of control that people thought they had and help us all see how incredibly vulnerable we are no well, matter what. That's the big place, isn't it? We are yes. all vulnerable. And this has taught us that, uh, that we're yes. vulnerable. The thing that you're teaching and which I wish someone had taught me a lot sooner was that being vulnerable is being strong, not weak. Yes, and how to manage it. Yes, yes. Because, true. you know, we can learn that vulnerability is actually strength. But, and I rarely say the word but, in fact, I might even replace it with the word and. Okay. We, we, are, we are taught, at least up until I would say uh, millennials, but the, the younger millennials and the Gen Zers are finally coming into a culture that says vulnerability is a gift. But everybody before that was taught vulnerability is a weakness. Don't show anything at work. Um, what was, what's the phrase I heard for so many years? This is work. It's not personal. And, and I would, I would be sort of dumbfounded by that. Like, but I'm, I'm here, like, I can't leave my heart at home. I don't, I don't understand how to be at the workplace, which is why I hid behind fear-based management because I didn't know how to be. So showing people that you can coexistingly have vulnerability, which is super uncomfortable for most people and how to manage it so that you can show up at work and not be a little puddle. Yes, I mean, be vulnerable is a, is a, asset but being totally out of it is not an asset right. <laughs> losing yourself to your vulnerability is not as you say that's how to, right you know, that's right how to manage it is very important but that it's an nice. aspect that certainly you know i worked for 30 years in the corporate world and that was not something that was appreciated as far as i could tell certainly not certainly not in fact uh we were shamed for it and we were fired for it and we were threatened for it um you did not you did not rise up the ladder. You did not make more money. You did not get promoted. You did not get more authority. You were never celebrated for it. Exactly. So now it's starting. It's really, it's not starting. It's happening. Yes. I mean, I've been, I've been teaching this for 15 years now, 16 years. And um, what I have witnessed is just a, uh, you know, it might feel slow to me because I've been doing it for all these years, but in the, in the context of, you know, you step back and look at the big picture, right. it's, it's really taking off, uh, which is thrilling. Well, that is wonderful because you worked in creative world and I did too. And, and that's a wonderful place. There are some marvelous things that have happened. And what if it would be a place without that much fear, without fear at all? I mean, that, that I, it's hard for me to imagine that right now. I'm very glad to hear it. 
Glad to hear I mean, that. think of all the creative that was squashed. Of course. Because you weren't, you didn't feel safe to be creative. I mean, well, also, it wasn't my, your idea. It wasn't my idea, so I'm going to kill this thing. That's right. That's so there, there's still the thumbprint mentality, you know, with the, the boss who's got to put their thumbprint on it so that right. they feel that they're useful, they can prove themselves. That's still out there, and that stems from fear. Right. And so there is part of leadership and certainly compassionate leadership is you manage with self-compassion towards yourself, with self, with, with compassion towards your direct reports, your peers and above you. Management above is something in general that's just never taught. It makes me crazy um, because you can't succeed in living a life of integrity and feel that you're doing good work if you're not managing your boss's expectations, you're not managing how you react and interact and act with your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss. So it goes in all directions. It begins with self-compassion and accountability in equal measure. My goodness, I am hating this job. I have to stay at this job because everybody else is talking about the great resignation, but in my situation, I can't leave self-compassion and accountability, I'm also going to work on my resume. Right. You know, so it's, it's the two simultaneously. How much work have you had been able to do with senior, senior management in the work that you're doing today? Because I would think as they talk about trickle down, that if, you could, if the top management can begin to open to the compassion, that can be then seen as the way to be. So it's interesting that you ask that question. Um, from the start of my own business, I really felt like I don't really want to work with senior, senior. They're set in their ways. I want to work with middle management where the real work happens. And right. just like fear ripples out, compassion ripples out. So I want to, to work with, and I, I mean, I never said no to senior, senior leadership, but I really very much focused on middle, which means like 10 to 25 years of experience right. leaders, because they were going to be the new C-suite and they were the ones who were really going to bring change. Um, so while I believe in trickle down, that wasn't my approach because I can't force somebody to understand that which I'm teaching. No. And so I chose to you know, purposefully. And also I really don't have an option. You, you're only going to work with the people who are going to work with you. Yes. So I, I, I worked with those people who were open to what I was teaching. And in a previous incarnation, my business was called management for millennials because I love millennials. And I was crazy in love with this whole generation who was taking the internet and taking control of their careers and not putting up with fear-based management anymore. And so now my business is called renadelevy.com because that's my name. I still think it's the, the millennials who led the charge and that's what caused so many Gen Xers and boomers to just you know, tear down millennials for all those you know, 10 years or so um, out of fear because right. the millennials were shifting the world in the direction I believe in. Now I'm, I'm probably the last boomer or the first Gen Zer, Gen Xer ever born. 
Um, I'm right on that cusp, but I am uh, completely dedicated to changing this culture that's very much in alignment with the millennials and the Gen Zers. Although my child doesn't think so. My child thinks I'm a hippie middle-aged mom, which I am. <laughs> I have a Gen Zer. Well, but you're, you're a teenage child. I always think that. I don't care what century you are in. That's always. <laughs> but are you finding that the, the millennials are making progress or yes. getting into higher positions? Yes, yes, and yes. Because a lot of millennials are starting their own business or running their own business. Well, or, or staying at companies just enough until they see what's happening. And then they say, see ya. And those companies are waking up or have woken up. Right, right. Well, and also one of the things that is apparently happening, and I'm interested in your view, is that more and more people are going on their own as opposed to going to work at companies. And is that what you see? A lot, a lot. I mean, the world is minuscule. I had a client in Dubai. I mean, what, <laughs> you know, from, from my office, which is the third bedroom in my tiny house, um, you know, so you, anything you want to sell, somebody wants to buy. There is no limit. The internet has completely changed the world and the level of creativity is off the charts because of technology, which is changing every freaking second. There's just no way to keep up with, I mean, just, you know, take my, my, my teenager who's like, okay, now I've got, I want to get this new app and, and my kid shows me the design they've done. And I'm like, oh my God, that's beautiful. My child is 14. They're not in art school. They're just finding an app on the internet and designing something and making it and posting it. So the level of creativity and, the, and the, the style of creativity has shifted. Marketing back when I went to college was this tiny little piece of business and finance was the whole of business. Right. Over the years, finance is driven by marketing now. Fascinating, fascinating. And so it's completely a creatively driven world which is uh, pretty amazing. Well, now I got to, this brings a question up to mind. Are you, is your next client base going to be how to get compassion into social media? <laughs> um, who knows? Who knows? I'm on my fifth career. It all, it's all connected <laughs> with a thread. I don't know what the next thing is. I, I think, um, you know, the more people I teach how to use compassion and accountability in equal measure in the workplace, the more those people incorporate this mindset into their whole life and into their work. And it's organically happening. I mean, the shift right now with yeah, equality and diversity and equity and inclusion is already in so much marketing. And that is using compassion in social media. Right, right. So, yeah. well, that that's encouraging. I I just always, I think about the opposite, the other side of that, as we've seen so much in social media politically mm -hmm. the divide. Because if that compassion that you teach would be 
could happen for everybody. Because as you say, it's compassion for oneself. That's right. I do believe that it's the idea of being able, can I talk to my wife's brother who is totally opposite from me in political and all kinds of feelings and ways? How can I be compassionate for him? Uh, and I started out only because he was a, a, a brother-in-law, but mm -hmm. isn't that what we all have to do and, and how we could spread what you're doing to just the world? 100%. Um, I'm not going to say it's easy. No. It's not. Uh, the more passionately you feel on issues, the harder it is, and the more capacity you have to embrace the coexisting truths of uh, I'm going to pretend I know your brother-in-law, which I don't, but let's say, uh, for example, have compassion for his upbringing, his context, his priorities, his values, and that he's funny and nice and loving and a great uncle to your kids and um, a loving brother and brother-in-law all at the same time. Well, that's absolutely true. And until Oh, well, I, there you go. I, I made that up, but yeah. Well, I, but, but that's a great split because the split is just like that. You know, his political views, his, his views on the society and so forth are an anathema to me. But he has right. always been loving to my wife, his sister, younger sister, right. to our kids and right. so forth. Because he, he is loving under there. But as it's, it's very hard to hate somebody you get to know. Um, it's also the more self-compassion you're able to find for yourself the more likely it is to have compassion for somebody who you find their values horrendous, maybe even horrific, to right. be able to say, my goodness, what kind of childhood did they have to get to that point? Exactly. It doesn't so, mean I need to marry them or, or analyze. be friends with them or day to day or, or idolize them, you said? No, analyze them. Or analyze them, right? They have their journey. I have mine. Um, you know, at a certain point, you need to protect yourself. So you need to vote. Uh, you need to, you know, speak up if there's some real danger. Or set um, some boundaries if you need to set boundaries. That's right. That's right. But I think as you're talking, I'm hearing, and I think it's wonderful, that really what you're identifying is the fear in yourself so you can have compassion for yourself. I'm fearful like everyone else is. This, certainly this covid has brought me to an awareness that I could get sick, I could die, and that's fearful. And if I can know that's true of, of myself and everybody else, I can begin to have more compassion for them, I think. Amen. Yes. We, we've never had a situation in, I think, any of our lives, unless, unless you know, somebody is old enough to have lived through you know, the 1918 influenza, but where anybody you interacted with, anybody, could could cause your death. Yes, yes. Never. I and mean, you never even, know. even when AIDS at its height, I knew that if I didn't, you know, make out or exchange, you know, some sort yes. of fluid, I was probably safe. Was I scared? Yes, but not in the way, not in the way that COVID has made it clear that every single person could be our cause of death unintentionally. Right. And that, right. that fear of that um, responsibility or, you know, being in danger of somebody else doing it to us. 
exactly. has really leveled the playing field in terms of anxiety and vulnerability. And what it has also done, as I see, is small, made the world a little bit smaller. In other words, yes. while it's bigger with the internet and so forth, it's smaller in the actual world. I can't go out and meet as many people. That's I have much more time to think, much more time to investigate myself if I'm open to doing that, which I think is what helps to get the compassion going. And on the flip side of that is all this time in isolation makes it so much easier to create stories of hate and anger and then right. type about it on the internet. Yes. Get in, this, in this detached, distanced, isolated experience, whereas, you know, would you actually say that if you saw the person in person? Maybe not. Maybe so not. what feels like outrageous amount of vitriol um, and it is, it is an, amount, <laughs> an outrageous amount of anger and violent speak um, and, and violence um, is also, there is also an incredible amount of depth, introspection, self-compassion happening. The news really only talks about the sensationalist scary stuff. Right. So it, it starts to feel one-sided when in reality it is, you know, I think it's sort of Star Wars like, you know, good and evil, you know, all every every hero's journey, every, you know, Joseph Campbell hero story, good and evil, the arc, the journey of the hero, you know, um, we are living it uh, in a way no one else has before because of the internet. Right. So people can't get away with stuff the way they did before. And yet that sort of up levels the outrageous behavior. Right, right. Well, but that's exactly why I invited you to come on. I want to have people on here who bring us some good news for a change. You tell us that there is compassion in the world. Oh, so much. And you have done that beautifully. Thank you so much. We are almost out of time here. So okay. but I'm going to make sure that I ask you this question. Before, if somebody who's listening would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Go to renadelevy.com, R-E-N-A-D-E-L-E-V, as in Victor, I-E.com. Say, no, say that one more time, because I think I missed a, a piece. R, as R. in rabbit. Right. E, N as in Nancy, A. Okay. D as in dog, E, L, E, V as in Victor, I-E. That's what I, Victor <laughs> threw me for some reason. I don't know why. I know Victor started. Have I been spelling my name my whole life? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's that, so that's your email, I take it. Uh, Rena at renadelevy.com is my Great. email. All right. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been a delight, and I really appreciate your being a guest on the show. Thank you so much, Tom. I think it's just wonderful what you're doing with this podcast just spreading goodness and it, it really helps. Well, Thank it you. helps. It helps me. So I hope it helps others. Thank you. Amen. Take good care.